Welcome to the Happy Hour Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us for this great and important episode, I would say, on the Happy Hour. So once again, if you're just tuning in, my name is Jonah Paquette. I'm one of the co-hosts of this show. And with me as always... It's Supriya Gill. And we are here on the Happy Hour. And today's topic, I would say a pretty... But they're all important topics, of course. I shouldn't pick my favorites. (laughs) But I would say in a time of rampant burnout in a time of so much stress, particularly at work, but also in other parts of life, you know, whether you're a caregiver or a parent or, you know, these different roles, these different domains of our lives, so many people struggling with burnout. And I've seen some figures even that we get into today, Supriya, you know, record levels by some measures Mm -hmm. of people struggling with feelings of burnout. So a very timely topic today that we have uh, the wonderful Dr. Debbie Sorensen, who is a clinical psychologist and expert on burnout. And we get to have a great conversation with her on today's episode that I think will be illuminating for uh, many listeners. And we'll talk about everything from what do we mean by burnout? I mean, that's a word that gets thrown out there a lot. So what do we really mean by burnout versus just feeling stressed or fatigued or whatever? And then a couple of strategies about what we can do if we find ourselves feeling burned out. How do we recognize it and how do we combat that? So that's going to be some of the ground that we cover with Dr. Sorensen. But I've mentioned this Dr. Debbie Sorensen now a couple of times. And, and who the heck is she, Supriya? Yeah, she's great. So Dr. Debbie Sorensen is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Denver, Colorado, who specializes in working with individual adults experiencing burnout and chronic stress. She is a co-host of the Psychologist Off the Clock podcast, the author of Act for Burnout, Recharge, Reconnect, and Transform Burnout with Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and co-author of the Act Daily Journal. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and anthropology from the University of Colorado, Boulder, and a PhD in psychology from Harvard University. She loves living in her home state of Colorado with her husband, two daughters, and dog. And, you know, the the piece that I will also mention about Debbie is that she brings in ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and some really great ways in which to utilize these principles to, to mitigate burnout and talks about what burnout can look like over time. So that's the only other piece that I'll add in terms of what to expect for this discussion, but some really great ground covered and we are so happy to have her on. Absolutely. So after this quick interlude, folks, you're going to hear our conversation with Dr. Debbie Sorensen about burnout, what it is, how to identify it and how to manage it most importantly. That's coming up next right after this short break. See you then. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie Sorensen. So great to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to to see you both today. Great to see you and to meet you finally. I, mean, I think Supri and I, we're both somebody that have looked up to your work, both in terms of your written work and obviously your amazing podcast, Psychologists Off the Clock. Uh, but it's an honor to have you with us here today on the Happy Hour. Well, thank you. And I've been listening to your episodes too and love them. And I feel like our podcasts are kind of like friends of each other or cousins or something like that cousins okay we're like cousins um and so it's good to to have that connection and to to talk to you yeah and you hear that all listeners that uh, that debbie dr the the illustrious dr Sorensen says great podcast ours so make sure you (laughs) listen to all those back episodes if you haven't yet (laughs) yes well it's great to have you on and we're going to talk a lot about I think quite a bit of ground today uh is our hope because you have an interesting you know have a great book out coming out that's coming out in January, which we're going to talk all about on burnout. And 
I would suspect, Supriya, that one or two listeners uh, who are tuning in probably are struggling with feelings of burnout, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk maybe, about that. Maybe just maybe. one or two. Definitely not higher than that. And, if, <laughs> right. and of course, Debbie, you have a great background in terms of you know really cool theoretical approaches that can help a lot of people too, in terms of things like ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, and we'll talk about that. But before we do that, Supriya, you could probably tell from just when we were chatting and shooting the breeze before that I can be a little tangential. I can be a little random. I can go all over the place. And to rein me in, but to also, you know, compromise. Supriya said to me, Jonah, you get to ask like one random question per episode. Because uh, otherwise, I'd, that would be the whole podcast. And that might not be as interesting to anyone except for me. But in terms of what I'd like to know about you, obviously, there's so much to your background that we want to get into. But I've been on a bit of a movie kick of late. I've been you know, catching up on all the classics and all of that. And my question for you, random one, but would be, let's say somebody didn't know you and you were saying to them, okay, I can show you one movie or TV show that you watch. And then that helps you get me as a person. Like for me, that would be Seinfeld. If I met, met someone, I'd say, mm-hmm. watch that show, and, you know, devote yourself to 150 episodes and then you'll know me. But what would be a movie or TV show that, um, that you feel like really gets you? Oh, this is a really hard. <laughs> I felt myself getting nervous. Like, what's he going to ask me? I'm like, this is a really hard. The, the stakes are low. Uh, on the happy I need hour. to go back to vetting yeah. these questions. This is a hard one. I have no idea. It's this hard. Is a hard one. <laughs> okay, so uh, it has to definitely have a little bit of that psychology component to it. I feel mm-hmm. like and. So, you know what comes to mind, and I feel like I'm going to sound like such a cliche for saying this, but I finally watched Ted Lasso recently, which everyone's been talking about for so long, and I finally got around to watching it and loved it. And so, although I'm not British, I'm not an athlete, I know nothing about you know, football slash soccer, whatever you call it, depending (laughs) on where you live, I just, I feel like there was so much to that that I could relate to and that I I don't know I have a little bit of that Ted Lasso kind of dorky kind of which is great and and (laughs) such a great show in terms of valuable lessons on friendship on leadership Mm -hmm. on and uh yeah I I think that's a fabulous and very psychological and there's a therapist and I mean you you, you covered all the bases I don't know about you Debbie but I kept hearing everyone talk oh you gotta see Lasso you gotta watch this Lasso show and for a while that made me think Eh, I don't want to watch that lasso show. Too many people are hyping it up. But then I saw it and I thought, now I get the hype. So great answer. Yeah, I had the same for years. I kept hearing, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? No, no, no. Partly, I think it was on like Apple TV. I don't think I even had an account for that. And so finally I did. And I was like, why why did it take me so long? This is such a good show. show. That's actually why we ended up buying Apple TV is because that show sucked us in. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to like it. And then, okay. I'll go on a little tangent if I might. And then, of course, I started watching, because I had Apple TV, I started watching Shrinking, which was hilarious. As a therapist, have you seen it? Fabulous. I actually thought you were going to bring up Shrinking. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's lots of things in that show I would never (laughs) do in a million. But there were also, there were lots of parts of it that were also quite relatable, I think, as a therapist and funny. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Although, listeners... We all, we all practice in different ways. We don't do everything exactly as on the show, Shrinking. 
Um, yes. Not everything. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> no, none of my clients have ever moved into my house. That, that so isn't Nana no, Debbie. Right. <laughs> But that should be another question. Who do you think is your best? Another future question, Supriya, that we won't talk today about, but remind me, who do you think is the best media depiction of a therapist? Because you can go all kinds of very interesting places oh, hey, there, yeah. right? I, I have a thought. But. You got Sopranos, you got Shrinking. Well, mine, the clear answer is either Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting or mm-hmm. uh, Ordinary People, Judd Hirsch. Those would be my two choices. Yeah. But we have gone well. Those are both great. <laughs> Those are great ones. Yeah. Well, and on that note, let's switch gears a bit. And Debbie, we are so excited about your book coming out. And, you know, I, Jen was talking about this earlier in terms of where we are and what's coming up. We're hearing a lot about burnout, what it is, how to fix it. Apparently, giving yoga passes out is the way to fix burnout. Um, <laughs> but maybe what we can start with is just you talking a little bit about your book and um, what what led you to write this book? Well, that's a, that's a long story that I will try to condense into a shorter story so that I don't We've go on. We've got three hours though, right? Okay, sure. There's, I'll give you the three-hour version. No, I mean, so of course, like a lot of things in our field that people end up getting interested in, I had a very personal experience with burnout when I worked in a medical center and I was a, a psychologist on a medical team and went through my own burnout, which I, I tell that story in the book. But I kind of suddenly had this realization that I was experiencing burnout and didn't even really realize it at first. I just felt like I was always stressed. I was always behind. And I blamed myself for that. Like, oh, if I could keep up better, I would be okay. But eventually realized that was what was going on for me. And what happened is that I started learning more about burnout. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know a lot. And I started talking to more people about it. Well. What ended up happening, this is where, long story short, is that I left that job eventually. It was actually quite a bit down the road from my more severe burnout period and started doing uh, private practice as a psychologist and specializing in burnout. And so I started seeing all kinds of people, healthcare professionals, parents, teachers, attorneys, you know, just a, a wide variety of clients from all different walks of life who were experiencing burnout. And I realized it's very complex. There's no one size fits all model, including the yoga pass thing, not to knock yoga because sometimes people find it helpful, but to think like something like that is going to fix burnout, which tends to be incredibly complicated and, and varies a lot person to person in terms of how it's being experienced. Well, around this time is when COVID happened. And do you, I mean, you remember how stressful that was, right? It's like the world was so difficult and people were trying to navigate this whole new world of virtual school and jobs. So many people in different professionals. I mean, it was just an incredibly stressful time. And so burnout was all over the place. And I think if you look at burnout rates, just they are high and they've been high for a long time and people are very chronically stressed lately. And that's that's one of the hallmarks of burnout. And so basically, I just really ended up immersing myself in that world and, and 
doing presentations and trainings, and it turned into a book. And so it kind of was my own personal experience, which then led to working with that in my clinical practice, which then led to a book. And so, yeah, here we are. And I wonder for listeners, because I think... I think one of the things that we see with a lot of concepts that we talk about on the happy hour and elsewhere in the field is this idea of like concept creep and words meaning different things to different people. Um, you know, and, and I'm wondering just for the sake of listeners, if you could help us understand from, from your perspective or what that research points to of how we might distinguish burnout versus feeling stressed, feeling overwhelmed, feeling sort of other similar states. Is there something unique to burnout that, you know, listeners might resonate with in terms of what that even kind of means from, yeah. from that perspective? Great question, because I think it's complicated, right? There's a lot of overlap between some different constructs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that burnout, I mean, the main criteria of burnout that I think is really important is that people just feel exhausted. And they just feel like they don't have as much energy as they usually do, specifically in the stressful domain that they're experiencing burnout. Usually it's work, but it can also be parenting or activism or athletics or other areas. But just feeling like they have nothing left to give, sometimes just checked out, disengaged, that kind of thing. And it's caused by chronic stress. That's one of the factors in burnout is that this is a result of chronic stress over the course of time. If you think about a stressful period in your life, usually it's kind of time limited. You're stressed out, but leading up to the stressful event, you're almost charged up a little bit. You're like, okay, I got to get this done. You're, you know, kind of like in this heightened state of trying to deal with the stressor. And then when the the stressful event kind of subsides or time goes on or you get the thing done that you need to do that you're stressed out about, you kind of feel a sense of relief. With burnout, it's been going on a while and you just end up feeling kind of depleted and tired. And so I think that it's so interesting because they sort of go together, but they're kind of different constructs. And stress is usually just what happens when we have something big, something that is demanding on us, but we don't have enough resources to, to help with the situation or to, to, you know what I mean? To be able to cope really well with it. And so, yeah, so they're, they're related, but sort of distinct. And one of the things I really appreciated about your book and, and kind of what you were mentioning now is that this extends beyond just professional roles, that there are other areas of life in which one can experience burnout and you differentiate, you talk about the World Health Organization definition in your book, and then you expand on that. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about whether there are certain people that are more at risk for experiencing burnout. Yeah, there are. And I mean, I think what you're speaking to is that there are a lot of different roles that I would say if you define work broadly, they are work. Parenting is mm-hmm. one of those, caregiving and is another one. So I think if you're in, I mean, that's the first probably, you know, risk factor, so to speak, is that you're in a stressful, a chronically stressful, demanding role where you're expected to show up and you have responsibility. There are a lot of personal factors that I think also make people at risk for burnout. And it's sort of interesting because a lot of the things that put you at risk for burnout are really wonderful qualities, like really caring about your work actually makes you at risk, having high standards for yourself. People in roles that are emotionally demanding, whether it's because you 
interface with people all day, or you're in a really stressful, important role where there's a lot of responsibility. And then there's a lot of factors that have to do with the setting that you're in. And I don't know if we, if you want to talk more about this, but you know, specific jobs where, for instance, if your work is short-staffed or if you feel chronically sort of underappreciated or, you know, there's there are factors within the work setting. And I think that's really important because we really need to be looking at burnout at a cultural mm-hmm. level, at a systemic level. And I think healthcare is a great example of this where a lot of health care systems are just very, very demanding on people. They just, there's so much responsibility, not enough hours in the day. And so these types of factors contribute as well. I've also seen some data, and maybe you could speak to this. I'm, guess, I'm wondering if it's, if it's how true it is, but i um, guessing it is, but around generational divides when it comes to burnout as well, in terms of younger people reporting more burnout Whereas you might think on the outside that younger people might have less burnout, you know, because they're juggling fewer roles, perhaps, and fewer are doing caregiving, fewer are married, fewer with kids. And yet I've seen, it looks like, according to some surveys, that like Gen Z, younger millennials are more burnt out. And I'm wondering kind of where maybe some of the broader societal systemic issues might be coming into play there. You know, I thought a lot about that because that. There is data supporting that. And I think, wait, let me rephrase that. There are data. Wait, is that the correct? No, I think that's the correct one, but everyone, it sounds wrong. So I (laughs) I never say it. Anyway, there's data. There we go. I'll cut it. (laughs) Um, But there's data suggesting that, yeah, that that younger people are a bit more prone to burnout than than I expected. Because I, you know, I'm middle aged and I thought, well, this is peak burnout. But then I was thinking, okay. A couple things, and this is, I'm sort of guessing here, speculating a little bit, but one is is exactly what you're saying, right? The world has been really stressful lately. And I think that young people grew up in this stressful world, more stressful than I grew up in, at least for Americans, in my opinion. I think it's just gotten harder. And so I think that there's that, right? There's the backdrop of just everything we've been through over these last years and decades. And then I also think that, again, this is speculation a little bit, but I think that when people are early in their career, early in the world of work, school, et cetera, that there's a certain level of, I don't know, I guess, ambition and striving and engagement with work that a lot of people kind of shift out of as they get older. Like, I just, I feel like the ability to say no, set boundaries, put things into perspective. In my life, at least, I've gotten Mm -hmm. better at that as Mm -hmm. I get older. I'm just like, I'm not willing to do some of the things I would have done when I was 25 to have my career moving along. So I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I think that all these things probably do play a a role. Well, I was just in in San Francisco watching Jerry Seinfeld perform the other night. And as he said, you know, you do get better at saying no each decade of life to the point where in your 70s, you don't even respond. So <laughs> right. you, just, you just wave. So maybe there is that sort yeah, of that I better Yeah, I think that's boundary. right. That's a fascinating thing that I wonder about even like, yes, there are those broader societal, geopolitical even factors, economic factors, and there's just so much more 
propensity for young people to be constantly inundated with reminders of that in a way. Like I sometimes think to myself, I would actually much rather be born kind of the age of a current Gen Z or millennial than like born in 1920 or night or, you know, there's a lot of times in history that I would say like really sucked, um, technical term. <laughs> and yet maybe there were also, you know, if you're constantly being bombarded with social comparisons, if you're constantly being bombarded with reminders of how the world is ending, you know, as opposed to, cause what seems to get, you know, traction and, and clicks and all of that, that it's easy to feel a, a, a deep sense of despair, I would think, uh, for a lot of these young people who are entering yeah. the workplace, even beyond what might be there. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you mentioned technology, people kind of feel like they have to be on all the time, even if mm. you're, it's a weekend or you're home, you have access to work in a way that my grandparents mm -hmm. didn't, my parents didn't. There's a lot of economic factors, just the pressure. I mean, there's so many different mm -hmm. pieces of yeah, this. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I was about to say, right. to 10 years well, ago. 10 years ago, <laughs> even pre-COVID, we're talking, you know, three or four years mm -hmm. ago, the amount and the ways in which we can connect now and the expectations around response time that may or may not be self-imposed can be really overwhelming. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just that you're supposed to respond to everything immediately. And it just, it kind of activates that mm -hmm. alarm bell feeling for things that aren't an emergency, but everything feels urgent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I actually had a real job and I would get sort of pings and notifications and you'd feel that amygdala response, you'd feel your heart rate going up um, in that way that, yeah, I think has definitely skyrocketed. How do, how do you think COVID, because like, you mentioned mm -hmm. that, you touched on that. What, what have we seen in terms of like the rates of burnout? Yeah, COVID I mean, I, I should check again to see what things look like at this point after we're out of the immediate, you know, initial couple mm -hmm. years of COVID. But I definitely saw a number of polls on this topic and just mm -hmm. how chronic stress and burnout really, I mean, it was already high before COVID. Mm -hmm. And then it just absolutely went up. And I, I think that there's a little bit of a silver lining to that, though, too, which is that the narrative has changed around a lot of this. I think a lot of people are asking questions about the culture we're in in terms of work and what's expected. I think people are more open about these things. And maybe it's getting to be I'm seeing some hope around people being able to set boundaries with work and work stress and just more people more people speaking up and the narrative is starting to change. But certainly there were a number of studies about stress in the workplace and how it just went from high to higher with COVID. And I'm wondering too, Debbie, I, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about ways to manage. But before we get there, how do you see burnout progressing over time? So how would I know that I'm burnt out and what what might I be looking for over time to see how things may or may not need intervention sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, because I think that one of the really important things is recognizing it when you're going down that road. And it's really tough to see it sometimes, I think, until you're just at this place of extreme burnout. I mean, I think that it's just really important for people to start to pay attention to their chronic st stress level in general and to know okay, for me, what are the indicators that this stress is getting to be more than I can handle? I mean, I hate to say it like that because you can handle it and you do, but to where it's starting to impact mm -hmm. you. And so I think that might be a little bit different 
person to person. But for me, I notice I'm starting to lose sleep. I'm starting to feel like the whole world is going to shut down if I take a vacation, you know, that I just start to get into this mindset of, okay, I have to work super hard to get myself into a better situation. And so, and and then what I have found happens is that at some point that does turn into just, I feel like I, I've got nothing left to give. It's again, it's that exhaustion feeling or that detachment, mm-hmm. like starting to feel like I don't care. I don't have the energy for this. Starting to just really feel focused on all the negative aspects of the situation to where that's all you see. And so I think it might be a little bit different, for instance, for you versus for me, but I would just pay attention. Like, how, how's this going in my life? How is my life feeling in terms of my stress level and my ability to show up and do you know, live my life the way I want to live it. And if you start to feel some of those indicators, you might be getting burned out. And, and I, I think that how it progresses depends a little bit person to person. There are some, some models out there if you look into this of like the progression of burnout, but I actually don't think those always fit because it's a little bit more, I don't know, like some people will have a pretty brief period of burnout and then they'll kind of bounce back. Other people, it just really gets to a place where this is a really serious problem that can go on for months or longer. And I don't think there's a universal progression mm-hmm. of it. But I do think that often, you know, if you don't stop and take a look at what's going on and, and make some changes either to the situation or to how you're responding to the situation, it can sometimes just keep getting worse and worse over the course of time. And that's what we want to try to prevent, right? It's like, okay, how do I get myself into a better place? Because it's a pretty hard place to be. So you mentioned both prevention and then what do we do about it? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we could hear some of your thoughts on that even from, and, and your book really is rooted in, and I want listeners to kind of get a sense of what this means too, in this, con- in this approach called ACT. And of course, we have people that are in the field that, that are listening, but people that don't know what that means and ACT, acceptance, commitment therapy. So I wonder if you could speak to, because you know, what you're anchoring this book on but also then thoughts that you have around either either end, sort of burnout prevention, as well as, you know, if you are burnt out, what do you do? What are the steps sort of? And again, I'm guessing that is very idiosyncratic to the person as well. Just like the progression might be different. I'm sure the pathways out can vary quite a bit person to person, but would love to sort of offer some, some ideas and concepts to listeners around that. Yeah. I mean, I think that just the part of the reason I like using the ACT approach for burnout is because philosophically, it's a really good fit. I mean, I think I'm an ACT therapist in general, so it makes sense for me to approach it this way. But one of the things, so acceptance and commitment therapy, it's, it's contextual. And so we look at why is this experience showing up for you in this way, given the context, it makes sense. And so all those factors that we were talking about with the world and chronic stress and your particular situation lead you to feel this way. And ACT is about being engaged, right? It's about being open and aware and engaged in whatever matters to you. And when people are burnt out, they're disengaged. They've kind of like maybe even the stress and all the intensity of their work has, they've gotten to the point where they're disconnected, disengaged. And so what we really want to do is help people transform that experience and to 
both look at changing things that aren't working. And that could mean for some people, you know, setting boundaries or for some people, it could mean just re continuing on with what they're doing, but trying to reconnect with what's important to them. For some people, it might mean changing jobs or changing something about their life, or it could just be changing your habits or something like that, like small scale changes. But there's also an internal shift, I think, that's really important. Even if nothing changes, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to just make the best of this situation because, you know, this is this situation is actually one that, you know, I care about or I want to keep doing what I'm doing, which is more around the emotional disconnection, maybe being more aware of thoughts and emotions that are showing up to you being more compassionate toward yourself. And I think getting out of that pattern of disconnection, which is usually in a way, not necessarily consciously, but it's it's like a it's an avoidance or a disconnection from from what matters. And so I'm talking pretty vaguely here. I'm happy to, to well, I'm wondering yeah. one of the things that you talk about in the context of this in the book is stimulus control. And so that was, that's one of my favorite strategies. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about stimulus control. Maybe we can dive a little deeper into that one, into what that might look like for setting. Are you talking specifically about like with kind of daily habits? Is yeah, that what you're... daily habits around maybe even setting boundaries. And if you're setting boundaries around work, how might you employ stimulus control as a strategy to keep those boundaries in place? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're thinking about the way I think about it, just to kind of make it like understandable to people who aren't behavioral psychologists is to think about, I, I, this is kind of an oversimplification, but I think, what can I do to set up the situation to make it easier for myself, right? To make it easier for myself to make whatever change it is that I'm trying to make or to even maintain whatever pattern is working for me. And so you kind of want to set up the environment as best you can to make it easy for yourself to to do the things that are going to help you help yourself, if that makes sense. So I'm just trying to think of an example. I don't know. Do you have an example that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I do actually have an example, which I think is why that part stood out to me so much is um, recently, a few weeks ago, actually, I used to have my desk and office set up in my bedroom and I work remotely, largely. And I just decided, you know what, there's, I'm thinking about work too much. I am passing by this when I'm going to bed, I can see lights on from my bed because of where my desk was situated. So I actually moved my desk to the downstairs office and keep my work phone and computer there. And it has been a huge part of me disconnecting in the evenings or disconnecting on the weekends because I'm not looking at it all the time. So that has been, you know, at first, I, and I even told Jenna, I was like, it's a little silly that I have to actually have the physical distance to be able to disconnect. And I'm seeing that it's working. So that was just something that really helped me in terms of maintaining those boundaries is actually having it out of sight. I love it. That's such a practical solution. And it could really make a difference. I do a couple of things I do. One is around bedtime, just brushing my teeth early, putting away technology. Once in a while, I go down a rabbit hole and stay up too late, but I try to just get, I get out an actual book and put all my phones and that kind of thing away because I know myself and I manage stress much better when I'm rested. So if I do that, it helps. I also, I, I interviewed on Psychologists Off the Clock, Randy 
Randy Patterson. Wait, is it Peterson or Patterson? Randy. <laughs> Randy, who wrote yeah. Randy Patterson, who wrote the assertiveness workbook. And he does this thing where when someone asks him to do something, I don't know if this really technically counts as stimulus control, but it's a helpful strategy like what you're talking about. When someone asks him to do something like, oh, can you give a talk or can you join this committee or something like that? He says, let me think it over and get back to you. Even if his first instinct is to say yes, he builds in a 24-hour wait period for himself to really check in, make sure he has time, make sure he wants to do it. And so that he kind of builds in this little buffer zone for himself to think it over and make sure it's right. Because I think there's sometimes that knee-jerk tendency to just take on too much. So that's another, I think, example of a practical level solution where it's like, okay, I know myself. I'll say yes to everything. I get excited or I like to make people happy by saying yes. And so to build in a little bit of a buffer with yourself to help you make a wise decision. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and in your book too, you have a lot of these different types of examples where you can kind of, for listeners, you can kind of see if you have some of these different tendencies that can contribute to burnout and ways to address them, which I really appreciated when I was, when I was looking through it. But I think I over-identified with many of those subtypes, <laughs> which is a different issue. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm glad you found that helpful. Um, But yes, I think a number of those patterns, a lot of people will be able to resonate with. Because again, there's no one size fits all model, but it's like some of these things are pretty easy to just, yeah, to, to relate to because we've all probably, we're all doing our best here and we've found different ways to try to cope with life. But sometimes some of those patterns can, can dig us in a little bit deeper when it comes to burnout. I'm, I'm fascinated by sort of burnout. It's, it's such a common problem. And it seems like one of the things that makes it, I mean, I guess this is true of a lot of things, but there's sort of the, the various inputs. There's the individual level inputs, like what am I doing to set boundaries around work? What am I doing around prioritizing self-care and physical movement and how I eat? On the other hand, there's also the inputs that are coming in terms of demands and you know things like that on the other side of the coin. And I'm wondering like for listeners, because I know this from you know many talking to many people on personal levels, professional levels. You know, sometimes you're doing all the right things and there can almost be this demoralization that comes of like, I'm, I'm taking my walks, I'm getting my sleep, but there's something about your environment at work that's out of your control, that's, you know, very excessive, unfair, unjust, you know, you, you name it. And I'm wondering, like, and maybe values ties into that too, of like, how does one, maybe a listener who's, who's tuning in who starts to recognize like there's something about this that just simply isn't aligned with who I want to be, the life that I want, and how to differentiate. In other words, like when is it a me problem, for lack of a better term, versus when is it, you know, am I forcing a round peg into a square hole and there's just something toxic that's not workable? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would say it's always really important to recognize that if you're feeling burned out, that that it makes sense that you're feeling way, that way given the situation because i think that people default in my experience people default most of the time to assuming it's a me problem i can't hack it i'm not handling it well i should do better and i think there's room for a lot of self compassion in there which is that if you're feeling burned out chances are that you're in a stressful situation and instead of defaulting to assume that you're doing something wrong or you need to take better care of yourself or 
you need to do this or this or that. Take a look at this situation. I mean, like we've said many times already today, we live in a stressful world. A lot of people have high stress jobs. But then I think what you're saying, sometimes we are in a situation that feels a bit at odds with our personal values, how we would want our organization to be run, how we like to be treated or would like to treat other people. Sometimes people are grappling with what's called moral injury. And for people who aren't familiar with that concept, it's this idea of, I have to do things in my job that don't really fit with my personal values. And it might be really minor, or in some roles, it can be pretty big, high levels of moral injury. And so I do think that that's one of the things to be aware of with burnout is thinking, and and actually it is a risk factor, is when you feel like your situation or the work you're doing isn't in line with, with what's important to you and with your own personal values. And I think depending on the level of severity of that, you know, you might want to make some decisions around, you know, is this a good fit for me? I'm just thinking of like a really toxic work environment where people are not treating each other well or where people are you know, maybe it's very competitive or mm. something like that. And of course, you know, there's a lot of different versions of that. But at some point, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not a good fit yeah. for the kind of life I want to live. And mirrors the same dilemma. I think that's, you know, sometimes it's in relationships. And I mean, and on the one hand, I'm, you know, very pro, I mean, I always think about what, you know, Irvi Allen would say of like, even if 99% of a situation's out of your control, what's the 1% that you do have control over? And that idea around personal accountability, responsibility for our own well being, yes. And at the same time, of course, I think having that wisdom to say, like, what is not only beyond my control, but you know, what is not just simply going to work in line with the life that I want to live is, a, is, is something that we have to do. But I am mindful of your time, Debbie, because we are, you know, have taken up quite a bit of it, but we do have. A, a, it is time super, I believe, for our lightning round brought to you by Pacific Glass and Electric. No, I'm just kidding. We're not sponsored by it. Uh, but we are going to get into uh, our lightning round. We need that that lightning soundtrack, right? Like a thunderbolt or something. Um, but we're going to get into that. Um, yeah, and so I can ask, I can start the lightning round. So, um, oh, sure. What is one change, Debbie, that you would encourage listeners to make based on your work and what we've talked about today? Well, okay, I'm going to just nutshell. I think that I think that you should always get support. Reach out, talk to people, tell them what you're going through. If there's one piece of advice I would give you, it is to connect and and lean on your your people, your community. Timeless and and I think very applicable to, to so many situations for sure. I have a sense of this because you have your, obviously have your amazing book coming out soon. But is there anything else that you're working on professionally right now that you're particularly jazzed about, psyched about, pumped about? I think that <laughs> I'm I'm actually here we go with burnout. I'm trying to downshift on the amount of work that I'm doing, so I'm pretty jazzed about just doing my private practice in the podcast right. and focusing on other areas of my life. <laughs> so, well, on this you know, hustle culture, like, and yep. what world is having a full private practice and, a, and an amazing podcast not enough? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, that, that and so like I'm excited about those two things. And that's pretty much where I am. And then, of course, the book is coming out. But I feel like the, the work of that is mostly done at this point. So I'm just enjoying that. Well, that 
experience. And on that note, how about on a personal level? What are you looking forward to? Any trip, event, or something specific coming up? Going back to Hawaii? <laughs> um, you know, my we haven't really had a chance. I have two kids, and right now they are nine and eleven, and we haven't had a chance to travel outside of the country with them in several years. And so we haven't really arranged a specific trip. They're so fun at this age, though, and they are awesome to travel with. And so to be determined where we're going to go, but I think we're going to try for an international trip with the kids sometime next summer. And so I don't even know the specifics yet, and I'm already excited. (laughs) That's great. Something to look forward to. Yeah. I believe they say the planning of the trip increases your well-being even more than the trip itself a lot of the time. That's right. Like having something to look forward to, right, is is Mm -hmm. one of the best parts about it. Of course, the trip is pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah. well. It's the uh, after the trip part that's terrible. Yes. <laughs> Back to reality. And the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the laundry, of course, and the packing. And laundry. <laughs> I don't know how to do laundry. Um, I do a lot around the house, as Sabrina knows. I'm the chef. I do everything, but I haven't done a lot of laundry in 14 years, and I, I want to keep that streak alive. I don't <sighs> think I would even know how to do it, believe it or not. Good streak. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's a good streak. And also, since this is the happy hour, Debbie, we are, we're always curious from guests of how do you cultivate happiness and well-being in your daily life? So I get up in the morning and I have coffee and I try to either do a little bit of reading or writing, kind of just like personal you know, journaling writing. I always try to carve out some family time at the end of the work day. And then I read. And I had kind of lost my way with reading for a while. I just wasn't prioritizing it. But I try. I don't do it every single night. But I try before bed to spend some time with a fun book, just an enjoyable you know, book that I'm reading just for the fun of it. And so those three things I try really hard to do every day. I don't always do all it. three every day. But um, when I do that, I'm usually pretty happy. I love it. And, and last mini question, because it was on your bio and I, I can't help because I'm an animal lover. What, what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> I have a black lab. Um, she's our family dog. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's very sweet. She's Labs, obsessed with fetch. That's the only thing she cares about. <laughs> in life, you know, there are some dogs sweet. that are just like 100% pure, beautiful souls, sweet animals. Labs mm-hmm. definitely count into that. So in, yeah. enjoy. I have cats and, and they're not 100% pure sweet. They're terrorists, but, you know, <laughs> No, they're pretty cool. hilarious though but too. I, I also love too. cats, but. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I love all animals. When yeah. someone asked me when I was a kid, what do you want to be when I grow up? I said, Ace Ventura, not to be a pet detective, but just that scene where he has like 500 animals around him. That oh would be yeah. My ideal. That, that's my dream. Uh, but anyway, it has been so great. Your book Act for Burnout is coming out in January of 2024. How exciting. And we'd love to hear have you have you share with listeners where they can find you, where they can learn more about your work, your writing, your your practice, all that good stuff. Well, I would go to drdebbysorensen.com and it's Sorensen with an S E N. I'm pretty easy to Google these days, but we'll, we'll put them in your show notes as well. Oh, great. Yeah. And there I have a link to the podcast. I have a link to the books and that kind of thing. And I have a blog which I only sporadically update, but I'm trying to get better about that. And so you can kind of find everything that I'm up to somewhere on that web page. And of course, my clinical practice as well. Awesome. And your podcast, The Wonderful Psychologist Off the Clock, your book, mm-hmm. Act for Burnout. And it has been such a great uh, honor to have you on our show today. Thank Deborah. you, Thanks Debbie. so much. Oh, thanks so much. It was fun. 